You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. So uh, I'm glad the kids have gone. I, wanted, I was going to preface again this week. Uh, this, this week is another sensitive subject week. Uh, just a heads up. For you, if you if you weren't prepared, uh, get prepared. Um, this one is uh, Paul wrote it. It's in the Bible. Okay, so you can't blame me, right? All right, don't don't shoot the messenger. Uh, this is this is the word of God, and so we're going to be in First Corinthians chapter seven today. We're only going to tackle the first uh, about the first half of chapter seven this morning. Um, so if you weren't with us last week, uh, we've been going through this series in in First Corinthians, talking about this flawed church. Church in Corinth had a lot of issues, a whole lot of issues. And, and this point we get to in chapter 7 here, they're going to have a couple of different uh, questions that they're kind of asking Paul, starting for the next few chapters, that they're writing to Paul kind of saying like, hey, what should we do about these things? And so um, I think it's really interesting that God picked a single man to write about marriage, because I know that if he had picked me, I would have put a lot more stuff in there that benefited me as a husband, right? And so I think it's good that he used a guy who was, who was single, at least at the time. There's thought that he might have been um, a widower, but at the time of writing this, at least you will see that Paul was single. And I know that, again, if I were writing things about like, um, guys, you just, you just have to kind of sit there and you just pull your feet up on the recliner. That's your job. That's your job. And ladies, you do everything else. That's what I would write, but I didn't write it because uh, I'm a terrible person. That basically, that's all it is. <coughs> um, and, and I understand that marriage is not for everyone, okay? Uh, I know that there's a lot of people in this room who, who might be widowed themselves, um, and I know that that's difficult, and I, I pray that this, this message would still be able to speak to you. Those of you who are not married yet, but maybe you have it on the horizon, uh, I hope that you take this as advice, uh, as a thing to look for, as kind of the standard of this is, this is what God expects. This is God's plan for marriage. We talked last week about how... Um, about how the city of Corinth was surrounded, this church was surrounded by sex. This church was surrounded by sex. It was everywhere. It was a big part of that culture, uh, very similar to us, right? Like that's not an unfamiliar thing for us. That's something that we see all the time. And so I think that what, what's happened here in Corinth is that they had come to the place of like, okay, so what should we do with sex? Is sex a good thing? Because that's what we've always known, but like now we have this new way of living, so like should, should we not? Like is it a bad thing? And I think that the modern day church kind of has the same approach, right? Like you don't hear a lot of pastors preaching on sex. It's not like a thing that pastors do a whole lot. But it is in scripture, so I'm not just going to be like, this is weird. We're just going to skip this week, right? Like I feel like that would not be doing justice to the, the scripture that the Lord wrote us. And so I think a lot of times we've seen it as kind of like this taboo, like Ooh, let's not talk about that. Let's not. Let's not talk about it. But I said it last week. If we don't talk about it, they're already talking about it. So where are we going to get good, helpful information for us as believers? And that's kind of why they write this letter to Paul. It's like, okay, so what do we do now? Like, what do we do with sex? And so starting in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man to have sexual relations, for, with, a, sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring... Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. 
The husband should, should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to the wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Um, just a few sentences before we read all of these verses, Paul is talking to the people of Corinth, and he, he tells them, he said, look, the food is... the." the food. The body is not for food and food not for the body, right? Like it's like this is, your body is made for bringing glory to God. And he, he, he puts that in perspective of, of sex right there as well. Is like, look, your body is still made for God. So don't get confused and think that the, the thing we have to focus on is sex. So this is what he's just said to them before he gets into this question. So we have to remember that as we, as we read these verses. But I think that Paul, one thing that we can take away from this is that sex is for marriage, but marriage is not for sex. Sex is for marriage, but marriage is not for sex. Those of you that are married, you know that there is a whole lot more that goes into marriage than just sex, right? The world will, will point and to and highlight sex. And it's like, this is what you need to focus on. But if you're married, you know better. You know that that's not the purpose. One thing I, I want to talk about is that I have heard these verses abused for years in the church. I've heard these verses abused for years, really for the objectification of women. I've heard that first part that it says the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields to her husband. And I've heard it put into this context that it's like it is the wife's job to make sure her husband is satisfied or, you know, it's really her fault if he, if he wanders, if he strays, if he starts looking at something else, if it's, that it's the woman's fault. And I just want to say that that is not true. That is not true. That's something that I've actually heard referenced, taught, um, maybe not explicitly stated, but pretty close in Christian culture. And that is a lie. That is a lie. Women, you are made in the image of God every bit as your husband is. You are image bearers of God. It is not your job. Your role is not just for sexuality. You are more than that. You are an image bearer of the creator of heaven and earth. And so for us to sell women short by saying, well, you know, women, you have to submit to your husbands. You got to make sure you keep them happy is lowering their value. And let me tell you, both sides, both spouses, it is not your job of your spouse's self-control. If your spouse cannot handle themselves, if your spouse is looking somewhere else, if your spouse is, is starting other relationships outside of the marriage, it is not your fault. Their self-control is their own fault. And for us to start pointing our fingers at someone else of why we're sinning is a dangerous and slippery slope. For us to say, well, I wouldn't have sinned if this person had blank, regardless of if we're talking about in the context of marriage or not, that is dangerous because it is your fault. If you sin, it is your fault. And for us to start blaming other people is dangerous. And so we cannot do this. And I'm passionate about this because it was a lie that was taught to me. This is something that, that I put on my wife 
for several years in our marriage before it clicked in my head that it was like, this is not, this is not a godly approach to marriage. This is not a godly thing to put on my wife. This is not, and I might not have ever explicitly stated it, but in my head, this is what I was thinking. It's like, that's not fair. That's not a fair thing. She had heard it her whole life too, and so she had accepted this as well. And it's like, this is not how God created marriage. If you look at these instructions he's given, Paul gives the same instructions, instructions to the men and to the women. It's like, look, your body is not your own anymore. It's your spouse's. And that same concept goes with, you need to have self-control for the sake of your spouse. So you can't blame your spouse if you're struggling, right? That's your struggle. Again, sex is a great part of marriage, but it is not the purpose of marriage. Paul does a fantastic job of explaining the purpose of marriage, and the roles of the spouses over in Ephesians. So I want to take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. You can flip there if you want. Uh, We're just going to read a couple verses. But Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husband, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I think a, a common misconception of this is just that the wife just has to do whatever the husband says, and it's, it's the husband, you get to, it's your, you have the right to just say and do whatever you want. And I think that that misconception is why culture bucks so much up against this concept, right? You will hear culture a lot of times talk about these verses specifically, that it's like, well, that's not okay, you can't just tell women, like, you have to submit to your husband's. But it's because we have this misconception of what that looks like. We have this misconception of what it actually looks like to submit. Now, when you're driving in the car, right? If you're driving in the car, just for this example, I'm going to say men. When you're driving in the car, are the passengers any less important than you? No. No. So just because somebody is in the passenger seat, it makes them no more or less value. So this role of submission is not tied to value. That's one misconception that that the world has with this, and I think has crept into the church a little bit, is that somehow this idea of submission is tied to value, and it's not. It's just a role. Like when you get in the car, somebody takes the role of driver, somebody takes the role of passenger. And it doesn't mean that the passenger doesn't have any say. When I drive, I'm terrible with directions, like awful. Like I needed directions to get to this church from my house, which is like 10 minutes for like the first year I was here, right? Like I was pulling it up on my GPS. I was like, I have no idea where I'm going, right? So when I'm driving, Maddie is the, is the, the navigator, right? She's got the direction. She's telling me where to go. I don't, even when Siri talks, I'm like, what is she talking about? When am I, I don't know how far half a mile is. I, that, is that here? No, half a mile is a little ways. Like just keep going. But if I just all of a sudden decided, like, you're less important, I'm going to turn left here, I would be so lost, right? If I decided, you know what? You're in the passenger seat. You don't get to have a say. That would be foolish. That would be foolish. Likewise, husbands, it doesn't mean that when you and your wife are disagreeing, you get to put your foot down and demand your way. Because that's what a toddler does. That's not what a man does. That's not what a man does. A man listens. A man hears out and says, you know what? My wife is pretty smart. Amen? 
I'm trying to help you guys. Come on. That was a, that was a layup. You should have that one. Because your wife is smart, amen? Thank you. Man, I'm saying my wife's not even here. Your wife is smart. Listen to her. I think it's really interesting, really interesting that in Scripture, so frequently, God talked to women. Jesus' first appearance was to Mary. And you know what he told her? Go tell. Go, go tell. Then, I mean, when God is coming, bringing Jesus into the world, he goes to Mary before he goes to Joseph. He doesn't tell Joseph, hey, I just, I'm not talking to women. Just want you to know that. I'm going to just go tell Mary this. No. He goes and tells Mary. A woman's value is not less because of their role as submitters. So men, remember that just like if you were pulling out of the driveway and your wife said, hold on, I need to go get something and started getting out of the car, you wouldn't just be like, I'm ready to go reverse, right? Like you're not going to do that and knock her out of the car. Like that's a terrible, if you do that, listen, we can need a whole, just a whole different sermon for that. Just like you wouldn't do that, if your wife is not quite on board with something that you think you, that you need to do as a family, don't just throw it in reverse and go anyway. Listen, take heed to what your wife says. There's value there. And if you think that submitting is tough, if you think that submitting is tough, now I know some of you have husbands that are like, that's pretty tough. Preacher, I'm like, I get it. Okay, I understand. I know that I'm not easy to submit to all the time. Listen to what, what Paul, what God gives directions to the men. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We could stop there and be like, I can't do that. <laughs> That's really hard, but we're going to keep going. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present to her... To her, him, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you should also, must also love his wife as, Christ, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. What a task. What a task. That is far more difficult than submitting. No offense, ladies, okay? I'm not saying that's easy, okay? Don't get me wrong. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You should feel the weight of that, man. You should feel the weight of what that is going to take for you. That's a massive responsibility to be sacrificial, to put our wives ahead of us. One interesting thing, when I was studying for this this week, I read in a commentary that the people of Greece, the people of Rome, they did not have rules for husbands and marriage. They did not have any. All of the rules in marriage were for women. So this is a radical concept. When Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus, when Paul is writing this to Corinth, it's like, okay, you know, women, you need to, you need to, you know, your body is not your own anymore. You need to give up to your husband. And same thing for men. I'm sure the men were like, what, what? I have to do things now? I didn't, this wasn't, I didn't know that. 
This is a new radical concept. And I think that there has been a drift back toward that in our culture. That we have lower expectations for men in marriage than we do for women. Right? Like, if you see a dad out with his kids in a store, you're like, man, look at him. Look at him go. Look at that dad. What a great dad. But if you see a mom out with her kids, you're like, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, that's what you're supposed to do. But, like, dads get these weird extra bonus points for hanging out with their kids. Sometimes when dads are hanging out with their kids, you know what they call that? They say, oh, are you babysitting? <laughs> no! I'm the dad! I'm parenting! That's what I'm doing! Right? We've kind of let men off the hook. We've kind of taken away the responsibility again, just like they didn't have before. No, you have a responsibility. Love your wives. Love is a verb. It's not just an emotion. It doesn't just mean like, well, I care about her a heck of a whole lot. Woohoo! right? No. The love that Jesus had for the church, it's a verb. It's sacrifice. It's laying yourself down. And I don't want to just gloss over this part either because I think it's really easy to just focus on the, the human aspect, but praise God for how he loved us. Amen? That he loved us and he gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing us by the washing with water through the word and to present us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Amen? That is how your husband has loved you. That is how your spouse, that is how your God in our relationship with him has loved you to make us, to bring us back to him this way. I'm so thankful that God gave us direction on marriage and on sex because the world is going to tell you a whole lot about both. The world is going to try to tell you a whole lot about both of those things. But again, just like Paul talks about with, with judging and going to secular judges for, for cases, like why would you go to somebody who doesn't even hold the same belief system as you? Why would you go to people outside the church for marriage advice either? Right? I don't want a marriage like the world has. I have no interest in that. I watch enough TV shows. I've seen enough of Judge Judy to know that's not what I want, Right? I don't want people's court marriages. That sounds awful. I want a godly marriage. Because the church is messed up, right? Every church. Our church, Church of Corinth. I don't think we're as bad as the Church of Corinth, but who knows? I, don't, I think it's hard to say we're like, well, we're way better, right? The church is flawed, but you know what? God loves us anyway. Jesus loves us, his bride, and he is making us better. His goal is to make us better as his bride. I mean, just look at the church at Corinth, right? Like, we've, we've already seen, we're only seven chapters in, and I feel like there's been so many times it's like, whew, what y'all doing over there, man? This is, this is tough. Like, you're celebrating a guy who's sleeping with his stepmother? Like, that was, what, two weeks ago? That it was like, yeah, this is great. We're championing this, right? And, and Jesus wasn't just like, you know what? This is, this is not the church I married. You are different. This is not what I signed up for. No. He loves and he is patient. Not only that, but he chased down the church of Corinth, and he didn't just say, you know what? They're never going to change. It's always going to be the same. No. He sent Paul to say, look, 
there's a different expectation that you have as the church. There's a different expectation. I'm going to show that to you. But even more so, that Jesus had already made them holy. That even with all their messed up problems, even with all their issues, that he still had made them holy. He didn't make forgiveness conditional on our ability to keep and follow the rules. And I'm sure that in your marriage, you're glad that your spouse forgives you for your missteps. Amen? Just like our Father has forgiven us for ours. Don't look to the world for advice on marriage or on sex because all they know are cheap imitations. Go to the one who created marriage. Go to the God who invented sex because marriage is so much more than just roommates who sleep together. It's an opportunity to experience and represent to the world the unity that God has with his people and to show the world what marriage is supposed to look like. Let's continue on in in chapter 7, picking up in verse 6. Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has his own gift from God. No one has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. That's how we know Paul's single. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. We're going to come back to these verses next week because Paul really digs into this idea um, in the next few verses after what we are going to go through today. So we will come back to these verses next week. But continuing on in verse 10. To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. He's quoting uh, Jesus in the Old Testament here. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. If the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother and sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called you to live in peace. Don't miss this. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Going back to the beginning of this passage, listen. No no pastor is like, hey, let me talk about divorce. That'll be fun, right? It's not a a thing that pastors are like, this will be great because it's something that is messy, it's complicated, I don't understand it, it's frequent, it happens a whole lot. Everything is, every situation is different. So what I want you to hear me say is that don't take any judgment from me, right? I know that we have people who are divorced in this room and there is no judgment coming from me in this, but Paul specifically addresses divorce here. And he says, it's not okay. And this is not a passage to beat up on people who may have gotten a divorce, right? The per- no purpose of scripture is to shame you and make you feel guilty for something you have already done in the past. That's not the purpose, right? This is really to those who are struggling in their marriage, who are thinking about getting married. One thing I will always say to couples when I do their premarital counseling, you can ask Tracy and TJ, I will say, divorce is not an option. 
Did I say that? Yeah. Divorce is not an option. And I will always say that. It's not an option. In my own marriage with, with me and Maddie, we have a rule that we don't even use the word divorce. We don't even say it at all. Right? I mean, like, obviously I'm saying it now. Okay. That's not what I mean. But, like, we don't joke about it. Ah, I'm going to divorce you. Like, right? I'm like, ugh, that makes me feel icky. Not like if you do that, I'm not judging you. But, like, I, I, we don't say it as a threat if you don't change or you keep doing this. And we don't say it as a joke because we don't want it to be something that the enemy creeps in later with. It's like, well, I know they were joking, but, I mean, they said, you know, like, oh, well, they, I know we, we were really angry and they mentioned it. You can't take it back once you've said it. You can't take it back. And it's been a really good guardrail for us because I don't ever want my kids to hear me joke about it with my wife and then ask questions. I'm not going to give the enemy that, that, that crack in our marriage to, to grab hold of and to make something bigger out of. We don't joke about it. We don't threaten with it. And I'm not saying that like, like that's not in the Bible, right? Like don't hear me saying it. It's like, well, preacher said and I have to do this. But like, it's just been really good for us. It's been really helpful for us to set that boundary in our marriage. And I love that, that Paul says, he finishes out this section there at the end by saying, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? What an attitude to have in marriage. What an attitude to have and he's talking to those with, with unbelieving spouses, and I can't imagine what that would be like. Some of you in this room may, may be in that situation. Some of you may have experienced that, to have a spouse who is an unbeliever, and I can't imagine what that would be like, especially for the people in Corinth, that they have this entire other belief system, right? And you have this spouse, this person that you've always been united with, or it feels like it, um, and... All of a sudden, they have a totally different belief system than you do. All of a sudden, all these things that you used to agree on, you're, you're like, I don't think we should do that anymore. Or I'm, I'm starting to live differently in my, my spouse. They just, they just aren't getting it. And that's a tough situation. And I think that these people were confused and they were like, look, Paul, what are we supposed to do here? Because we're supposed to be living this way, but here we have our spouse who's not. Paul's like, it's easy. Just love them with the love of God. Just point them to Jesus. I think that idea sums up so perfectly all that is in this chapter and really should be a motto for our marriage is show your spouse the love of God. Show your spouse the love of God. How many problems would that solve in your marriage? I think a lot of times we talk about in, in church how we should love people outside, love the people we work with, love your neighbor. And sometimes we forget if we just love the people in our own house with our own strength, it's not going to work out super great. Show your spouse the love of God. Whether they're saved or not, our goal should be to demonstrate God's love to our spouse. And then even the things that we talked about earlier, those things would work themselves out, right? Like if you have a relationship with your spouse that you're like, I want to show them the love of God, then you're not going to be making selfish decisions about your body or about their body because you're going to be loving them with the love of God. You're not leaning on yourself. 
Same thing as like when it comes to the, the idea of these different gender roles that Paul gave us in Ephesians of like wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Like those ideas, they come more naturally when we're not trying to do it on our own. Because wives, I'm sure that submitting on your own is not easy. And husbands, I'm sure that loving your wife as Christ loved the church, I know that that's a tall task. We can't do it on our own. We have to lean on the love that God has given us. Can't just act like believers when we're at church or around lost people and then just do whatever we want when we're in our own home. If you want a marriage like the world, try to rely on your own love. Try to do it all on your own. And that's what you're going to end up with. And I know... I know if you're not married, for those of you in this room who might not be married right now, I hope you haven't tuned me out. I hope you're not like, he's not talking to me. I'm just going to sit here and I don't really know what I'm supposed to get out of this, right? But I, I pray that you realize you have a fantastic husband in Jesus. I know, man, you might be like, excuse me. It's okay. It's in the Bible. Don't worry about it. You have a fantastic spouse in Jesus. You have a God who loves you and is enough for you. And next week, we're going to be talking to those people, to people who are not married, because that's what Paul does next. He addresses the unmarried. That doesn't mean y'all, everybody else is going to go to Waffle House. Y'all can still come to You're going to get something out of it, I promise. But for if you've, if you've kind of been like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this one, just know that you have the perfect spouse, that you are loved, that he is sufficient for you. And for the married, listen to the words of God through Paul and allow them to reshape your marriage. Don't take advice from the world if you want a godly marriage. And don't rely on your own strength and your own love. If you aren't married, you need to think of these words from Paul if you're planning on getting married as studying for a test. Like, hey, this is what I need to, this is what I need to focus on. This is... This is, what is what is coming, and I need to be prepared. This is what I need to be looking for. This is what I need to expect. And those of you who aren't aiming for marriage, again, rest in your marriage with Jesus, knowing that he is sufficient for you. He gave himself up for you. I mean, married people, he also gave himself up for you. I don't want you to feel left out. God gave himself up for us to bring us back into relationship with him. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for, for the Bible. God, thank you that it, it talks about these things that, um, that can be a little uncomfortable, but the world's going to shove in our face anyway. God, I pray that we would have your approach to how we live in our marriage, to the way we live, to the way we show love to our spouse. And God, that we would... Um, Shake off all of the sinful expectations that the world has put on marriage and the world has put into sex. God, that we would realize that there is so much better that you have for us. And that if we're just looking to the world and we're not looking to scripture, we're not going to get to experience your best. God, I pray that you would help us to love the world, love the people we interact with, with your love, and also our spouse. That we would love them, not on our own strength, 
that gets tired, that gets angry, that gets defensive. But God, on your sacrificial, holy love, be with us this week and help us to show that love to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.